Good morning. Welcome to the Hay Ref Podcast. This is Fred Johnson, a signer for the Northwest Mississippi Basketball Officials Association area. Uh, first, let me thank all of the coaches and officials who tuned in to the conference call last night. I initially planned uh, to post a conference call, but there were so many beeps and so many interruptions. I decided to just go in and record the most important information so coaches uh, and, and officials We'll have detailed information of what we need to do moving forward. All our games will be posted on Dragonfly at some point. Uh, don't uh, be too concerned about that. What basically we want to do is make sure that we have officials that can work each game, and those officials are assigned based on their performance. You know, the teams uh, from this point on, those teams that play well, those teams would advance on uh, to the uh, next round. Well, the same thing with officials. Those officials who perform those duties who do the things that they need to do as an official, will move on as well. Let me talk a little bit about Hey Ref. Hey Ref is a uh, a cliche that uh, I've been working on for about two or three years now. I applied for a trademark for the word Hey Ref and actually officially got it approved. And my goal with Hey Ref is to try to educate and try to recruit and train younger officials to get into this advocation. I realize uh, at some point that we're going to need new people. Now, the average age, especially in my basketball group this year, was 55 years old. So it means that we only have a few people that are young, but most of our officials are going up in age. And at some point, it's going to be end of the line for them, and we need to have some young people trained to do that. And hopefully, I want you guys to support the Hey Ref. I plan on talking to coaches, visiting some schools, recruiting young people. Basically, we can do what we need to do on our end, and we can make it an attractive advocation for young officials, and hopefully we can get some support in doing that. Let me talk about what my goal is for this meeting. My goal is to educate coaches, officials, and administrators as some responsibilities uh, to make our event a little bit run a lot smoother. Uh, And I think there's a whole lot of situations that we have encountered over the years that we think are really important. What are the things that we ask uh, for the administrators and what, from expectation, is what do we expect them to do? One of the first things we expect administrators to provide a safe area for officials to park. I know a lot of times the crowds sometimes may be small. You don't worry about it because there's plenty of room for officials to park. But now we're in division play where the losing team is possibly done for the year and the winning team move on. And so a lot of times it's impossible for officials to get to their assigned games. If you have some special instructions for parking, please get that information out to me and I'll definitely make sure to get to the officials. So if we can have a safe place uh, to park, so we get in and out of the game, it definitely be uh, important because, you know, now we have officials leaving after the second game and then officials arriving. And a lot of times they arrive with the crowd and want to make sure our guys are protected and safe. Security. Get officials in uh, to the dressing room, making sure that uh, they have a key. Uh, a lot of times games are competitive and they have to run off the court. Uh, you know, let's talk about that running off the court. We don't run because we're trying to get away from the fans. We run because we don't want to be around the fans. And that's a little bit of a different concept. And I know sometimes people talk about, well, these guys get out of there pretty quick. Well, yes, we do because, you know, most of the time, especially when it's an adversary situation, we have to get to our place and we need to be able to access of the room as soon as we get there after we've taken care of a lot of the administrative details we're in the dressing room officials have had a great pregame 
They're on the court at least 15 minutes prior to the start of the game. We want to have a game manager's meeting. The game manager meeting should involve the coaches, should involve a game manager, which is definitely cannot be the head coach of the same game. It may be the head coach of the boys' team uh, when the girls are playing, but we definitely need to have someone uh, from that school who served as a game manager that will be available throughout the contest. That person definitely needs to be uh, at that meeting. And some of the things we want to talk about at the meeting is asking our game manager to be visible and available and be proactive as it relates to things that may happen on the court. All three officials should be at the game manager's meeting. Introduce yourself to the coaches. We want to make sure that it's a professional situation. We have kids. It, we won't, don't ever want to forget the focus of our event is all about the players and the coaches and officials. If you guys remain professional, cordial with each other, I think that message sends a message to the teams, of players, and fans that we are a team. We are the professionals, and let's do our best to remain professional, and let's don't let calls uh, determine uh, the attitude that kids will take with them the rest of the season. So a game management meeting is mandated by the state. We anticipate uh, some large crowds, and so game managers, you know, you're going to have some responsibilities. We want to make sure we take care of those responsibilities. Then we ask the game managers to uh, work with the administrators from the visiting schools. A lot of times there are fans that come in from visiting schools that may get unruly because it may be or it may not be the last game and they may feel like they have a right to do certain things. So we ask you work together with the game managers from the other school or the game administrator from the other schools to make sure they take care of their fans. At the halftime, we you don't have to do it. We do request that you provide refreshment for the officials. It has no effect on the game. It's not a mandatory issue, but it is a good hospitality gesture that you can give to the officials, whether your game, whether your team win or whether your team lose, whether they're playing well. That's something that we definitely would appreciate if you would do that. And then let's talk about the game itself. And let me warn you, coaches, we are not shipping in a new set of officials. You're going to have the same officials you've been had all season. They know how you coach. You know how your team plays. And so don't be surprised when you see official you may have or may seen the early part of the season. One of the advantages of that is, you know, if a guy is really technical, you know, if a guy is loosey-goosey, you may know, have a strategy related to that. Those officials will be posted so you have enough time to educate your team about some of the tendencies that you have with that particular. I hope they are consistent from the beginning to the end of the game. We don't want a situation where we allow hand-checking throughout the whole course of the game, and then as the game gets crucial, we have a hand-checking call that we didn't call at the beginning of the game. Kids will adjust to us as well as we have to adjust to sometimes their coaching style. Let's talk about our scorekeepers and our clock operators. They are assistant officials. They're actually part of the officiating crew, and we want to make sure that they are considered. As far as the scorekeepers are concerned, scorekeeper, uh, please make your best effort to have adults keeping the score. I know sometimes we may have students who've been keeping it all season, and they've done a great job. But other coaches coming in may have issues with that, and we don't need to start the game out in an adversary situation. So do the best job you can to get adults to keep the scorebook. With that being said, when the visiting team 
A lot of times there may be a discrepancy in the score. There may be a discrepancy in the amount of fouls. Uh, we ask the coaches to allow your visiting team to sit at the scores table. We would not recognize the scorebook of the visiting team if the visiting team is not sitting at the score tables. It's a responsibility of game management to provide a spot for them. They need to sit there, and that way they can verify all files. They can verify all points. So if you uh, choose not to do that, then we're definitely going to just go with the home book uh, when there is a situation where we have to make a decision. At the end of the day, the official book is the home book uh, in every game. We want the book to remain at the scores table at halftime throughout the course of the game. I see a lot of time at the beginning of the game, officials would take the scorebook and take it to the particular coach. I'm saying we don't want to do that. We want to leave the book at the table. It's the responsibility of the coach to come to the table, to verify their starters, to check out the players on there. Then our responsibility is to make sure that the number of players on the court is the same number of players on the scorebook, and we can skim uh, through the numbers and make sure that they have all legal numbers. That's our responsibility. And we don't want to make ourselves liable to a situation when a kid's not on the book or the number is not correct, and then it, the coaches end up with a technical foul, and they simply say, well, you brought me the book before the game, or you verified it, so you, uh, we don't want to put ourselves in that situation. The scorebooks are important. The home scorebook, the official scorekeeper must have on the official striped shirt. Uh, it's mandatory that they have that on. So asking the game manager to make sure that you can find there are a whole lot of those old shirts out there available. Just make sure that the scorekeeper, the official score, has on the striped shirt. One of the other things that's going to be responsibility is we there must be an error at the table. We won't be looking at the clock. A lot of times it's difficult to look at the clock to see which way uh, the ball is supposed to go. There need to be an error. If yours is electronic and it doesn't work, we want you to get a piece of cardboard. Whatever the case is, we need to have a directional error uh, so that the officials, based on what uh, the call, can see what direction the error go. And if the error does not get changed, then between games, then we can go out, and, I mean, between plays, then we can go and get that error changed. We've had so many issues with the possession of the ball, which could be a game changer because a lot of time coaches are looking at the error uh, based on their strategy, especially close to the end of the game. So let's make sure that we do have an error available at the scores table, whether it's mechanical, whether it's uh, something that we create, whatever it is, we just need to make sure that we have one available. When there's a game time situation, we may have to go uh, to our clock operator to check the time. And if there is a situation where the clock's not running, where the clock's running too much, we want officials to be observant. And we always say this to the crew of officials. Anytime there's a whistle blown, one of the off officials need to definitely immediately look at the clock to observe what time was on the clock. When we can prevent a lot of things from doing that by doing that, because if there's a situation where time is of essence, then we can definitely see what we saw when the whistle was blown, and we can definitely educate that uh, to our particular score uh, clock operator. These people are important because a, there are a lot of fans see the scoreboard as the official, but we already know that the scoreboard is not official. But we need to make sure that they are part of our team, which means. We don't need the scorekeeper cheering. We don't need the clock operator cheering. They got to remain neutral for that particular game. And I know sometimes it's hard because there may be an next player, next coach, or a teacher, whatever the case may be. But definitely we don't want them uh, to be supporting any team 
while they're on duty. And at the same time, they can't be critical of an official uh, making a call. I've seen times when, you know, you call a foul on the player and the scorekeeper shaking their head. We can't have that. And I think at the end of the day, it's still the referee responsibility whether they need to remove a person from the scores table just because they are, um, you know, criticizing the officials or criticizing the coach. These people need to be uh, cordial and respectful to the visiting coach to make sure that they, uh, you know, understand that they are, they can't be removed and we need to do what we need to do to make sure this handled. Now let's talk about some point of emphasis that we're going to focus on uh, as, a, as officials this year. One of the main one is going to be rough play. Basketball in high school, it's different from basketball in college, basketball in, in NBA. We don't have the advantage-disadvantage rule. In high school, a foul is a foul. The arm bar, the hand check, those things uh, are fouls, especially when it uh, basically put a player at a disadvantage. We need to make sure we're consistent in making that call. And coaches will look at us at the beginning of the game just to see how consistent we're going to be with that. Our goal is to keep players playing. And a lot of can happen by us saying, take, get your hand off, get your hand off or get out of the lane. Those are things that definitely uh, help you as an official, because if we can play a game where we don't have to make those decisions, then we call it a perfect game. But in our uh, lifetime, I don't think you'll ever have a perfect basketball game because there's just so many things that would happen just based on contact. So let's not make the game rough, you know, blow your whistle, call your fouls, report your fouls, do the things that we need to do to make sure that the game is safe. One of the other problems we've had throughout the course of our regular season is the traveling rule. Now we got the Euro step. Now we got the jump step. And there'd be a whole lot of inconsistency in, from district to district, from official to official, how we uh, referee that. My uh, strategy and how we teach our officials in our district is don't worry about what happened at the beginning of the play. Look at what happened at the end of the play. When the kid, uh, both feet hit the floor at the same time, definitely that's legal. But when one foot hit followed by the other foot, then nine times out of 10, we got traveling. You know, be consistent with that from the beginning to the end. Don't let them your step and jump step at the beginning of the game and you say it's okay. Then at the end of the game, you know, that it happens and we pass on it. Let's be consistent from player to player and from team to team. And in most cases, you only have a, a few players on any team that's capable of doing the jump step. So we don't definitely don't want to change their strategy in their game. At the same time, we want to make sure that we are fair with what's going on. We have a lot of situations where a ball, officials are calling kick balls. A ball can't be kicked unless it's intentionally kicked. That means the player who kicked the ball has to intentionally do something other than um, just stand there and let the ball hit their foot. So ball hitting their foot is definitely not a kick ball, but they must do something. An, or a player may throw a ball into their leg, then that can technically be a kick ball. When a player dives on the floor for a basketball and they slide, they can slide from one end of the court to the other. Actually, that's not going to happen. But the fact of the matter is, that's a legal play as long as they don't do anything to gain an advantage. Turning over or, stand, or getting up is one of the things that would be an advantage, and therefore we would call that traveling. So we want to anticipate that. Let's talk a little bit about the principle of verticality. We missed that a lot. I've been officiating for a long time, and there are several things that related to the principle of verticality, which means that any player on the court is entitled to that spot 
all the way to the ceiling as long as they got there first. So if you come and take my spot and you push me out of my spot, then you've committed a violation. You've committed a foul. So we asking that is when it relates to, first of all, let's talk about boxing out. Coaches teach boxing out. Kids do a great job of boxing out. But when you feel the defender behind you, then you got to stop. You can't use a lack of a better word. You can't root him out because once you root him from his spot, then you've committed the foul. The foul is not on the player behind because he's entitled to that spot. Let's make sure we talk about the principle of verticality. Let's talk about over the back. We hear that a lot from fans. We hear that a lot from coaches. But actually, who are we refereeing? Are we refereeing the person jumping in the air? Are we refereeing the person that so-called back he's being uh, accused of being on? A lot of times, the, the tall players will go straight up, and then you have a smaller pair, may back into them. So we got to referee uh, that as it relates to principal verticality. Did he jump forward? If he jumped forward, obviously it's a foul. But if he jumps straight up and then there's contact, contact may not necessarily be on the player that's going straight up, maybe on the player in front of them. So let's do a better job, a good job of making sure we watch that play. That's why it's important when we talk about primary coverage area, we talk about the C slot, the third official, don't bail out on jump shot. In fact, step in so you can assist the lead official in making those over the back calls. Because most of the time, the lead official would probably be straight line and can't really see if there were contact. We don't want to have phantom calls just because a person is behind a person. Doesn't necessarily mean it's over the back. We want to see the contact because a lot of times coaches won't see uh, the space, the visible, the uh, empty space between the player. But we can see that all the time. We want to make sure we don't just give a cheap foul as related to that. You know, anytime a kid is shooting a three point and there's a boxing out out there, that's a foul as well. So let's make sure we try to be observant of that point of verticality now we talk about requesting loose timeouts doing loose ball let's first get out of mind that a coach cannot call a timeout the only thing a coach can do is request a timeout and that timeout has to be awarded by the official the rules simply state that the official must either verbally or see the coach call a timeout actually request a timeout we are refereeing a play and somebody's yelling timeout how do we know is the coach? We have to turn and see that. So if you're covering the play, it's going to be difficult for you to not watch the play and look to see if the coach is calling a timeout. So one strategy the coach should use, uh, get to one of the off officials that's not covering the play and signal for the timeout. And when you signal for the timeout, the official that's not covering the play will possibly give you a timeout. And once that happens, then we hear the ball was loose when you awarded the timeout. I think that's one of the things that became a problem when coaches were allowed to call timeout from the bench. Back in the day when you had to be a player on the court uh, to call a timeout, now when they allow coaches to be able to call a timeout, you know, as soon as the ball uh, get loose, as soon as a player lose control of the ball, we got requests for timeouts. And I think as officials, how do we man that? When we call a timeout, that's when we need to communicate. And talk about communication. Our job is to make sure we get calls right. So there'll be a lot of time when we may meet, we may need to communicate just for the mere fact for us to get the call right. Not that we're uh, fraternized or we're doing that kind of stuff and we're always together in a group. But the more we communicate on the court, the better job that we're going to be able to do. The official who's covering the play should possibly, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, should never be the one 
that issues a timeout because how you going to issue a timeout? Because first of all, you got to see it. And if you don't see it, why are you doing it? Now, if it's a player involved in the play that you're covering, then of course, that's a natural. And one of the things we talk about is being 100. Now, what does being 100 mean? Being 100 always means this. If there is a recording, then you're going to be 100% correct. So if I'm not 100, then I don't need to make sure I need to make sure I don't make calls that could affect the outcome of the game when I'm not 100. But when I'm 100, I'm going to be on it. I'm going to definitely make the call. And then we're going to go with it because the fact's going to be proven that I was 100. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a three-point shot and the kid foot is on the line. And I give a three-point signal, good. That decides over time, it may decide the point of a game. Now, I'm not 100. I'm about 95% sure that this kid was behind the line. But on the video replay, it shows that his foot was on the line. So now, could I actually be 100? Obviously, I don't need to be refereeing if I can't see a foot on the line. In that particular situation, if my partner comes over and say, hey, did you see the whole play? And I simply say, I may have been blocked out a little bit. And he says, okay, the foot was on the line. And that being the case, then now we have a two-point shot as opposed to three-point shot. Now, that's just one factor. But there's a whole lot of situations in the game where we can help each other if we would definitely make sure that we are a team, we are a crew. It's not that pass, that the final pass that the kids shoot, uh, that he, he think he did it all by himself, but it's the pass that gave him the open shot that he made the shot to win the game as official. Sometimes we need to get together and make sure we definitely do that. Let's talk about the coach's box. That's a big thing to talk about, the coach's box. Coaches know what their responsibilities are. Officials know what their responsibilities are. I'm encouraging officials not to go out there uh, this week and bury dog the coach's box. Now, if you just happen to look up or look around and you see the coaches out of his box coaching his players, cordially uh, go over there, not stop and play, just sometime between play, you go over and say, coach, hey, be observant of your coach's box. And I think most of the time, coaches will be observant of it. Now we have a situation where the coach is out of the box and he's yelling at you about a call. Now we got a different situation. That doesn't necessarily mean we got an automatic technical foul, but we do have a situation where now we may have to warn the coach to stay in his box. And the next time he's out of the box yelling at you, then you do what you have to do. We just don't want to bury dog that. Give coaches an opportunity to coach their team. We've got teams coming in from other areas. We don't know what crews have allowed, but it's difficult once we get to playoff is trying to have a hard, fast rule. So it's a situation where you got to use common sense. And that's one of the things that uh, a lot of officials have, but they don't use. And a lot of officials, that's all they have is common sense. And those officials, a lot of times, will get us out of situations that we need to be in. So let's observe the coach's box, make sure coaches understand it, and make sure that they adhere to the rule. Now, we don't do anything to change the rule. All we simply do is we're going to make sure that we're not going to bury our coaches and give them technical foul. And because two technical fouls, a coaches, you know, have to leave the gym. And of course, the first technical, a coach has to remain seated for the remaining part of the game. And, you know, those administrative things we'll talk about with officials. Now, here's a couple of things that we're going to be zero tolerance on. We're going to be zero tolerance on cursing. Uh, that's coaches cursing players, coaches cursing officials, officials cursing coaches, whatever the case may be, a fans yelling out cuss words throughout the course of the game. We're going to be zero tolerant. The state has asked us that we eliminate cursing. 
Now, how do you administer a coach when a coach is over there cursing out his players? One of the things we may be able to do is have an ear to the game manager and make sure the game manager is aware of what's going on and let the game managers handle it. I don't want officials going out there issuing a technical foul when you hear a coach yell a cuss word at his player, but definitely it needs to be addressed. Let's figure out the best way to address it. It's for them to go to the game manager and say, gang, hey, your coach over there used a whole lot of cuss words that we can't tolerate. Can you handle that? In most cases, they will handle it. And if they don't, then of course, you know, last resort, we can definitely eject the coach. We don't want to do anything to penalize the teams because sometimes coaches get into their uh, situation. So we're not going to definitely have any cursing on the court. Zero tolerance with player tone, whether that's verbal, whether that's physical. We have a lot of issues where, you know, players will put their hand down on the floor to indicate, hey, you're too short to handle me. If that's the case, then we're definitely not going to tolerate that. The opportunity we see that, we're going to go over and warn the player that that's not going to be tolerated, and we definitely can't have you doing that. We're going to make sure that uh, coaches understand that we keep the kids playing on the floor and not in the stands. We have this three-point thing now where kids hit a three-point, they got some type of signal that they signal, and they're just un not tolerated because it definitely is a way that they taunt players. You know, the rule allows for kids on the bench to stand and react to a outstanding play. What we're finding now is kids are standing on a shot, on a three-point shot, even before it hit the basket. So let's, we don't want to bird talk that. We want to make sure coaches understand that the kids on the bench need to be seated because it could be an adversary situation. We want to make sure uh, uh, we, we handle that. Then last thing on that is let our game managers handle the crowd. If there's a situation where someone needs to be uh, adhered to because of their conduct uh, in the stand, then basically stop play until the situation is resolved. And game managers, you know, it doesn't matter how long we hold up play, but we definitely don't want to be playing basketball as they handle a situation We'll make sure that it's taken care of. Let's talk about fighting on the court. I want officials to understand that these are kids. They get emotional. A lot of times they are reacting to a situation. Let's not be so quick to charge them with fighting because if a kid is charged with fighting, then they will be eliminated from the playoff pretty much because in basketball, you have to sit out two games. When you have a situation where kids kind of chest up to each other and coaches are there on point to make sure that it's resolved, let's handle it with technical fouls and let's move on with our game. We don't need to have kids ejected because they get emotionally. A lot of times they get upset uh, and then things happen. But when they are ejected because of two uh, unsportsmanlike technical fouls, then actually it, we don't have to worry about that because it's actually on the kid. If the coaches and the kid uh, then learn after the first technical, then we're not going to be um, you know, so uh, loose about the second one. That we're going to make sure that they understand that the second technical foul they are ejected. Now, when it's an administrative technical, like slapping the backboard or holding onto the rim or something like that, then we have a totally different situation. Let's be careful not, and let's don't try to get people out of the game. Our goal as officials is to get, have the game played. Each team have a chance to win in the best possible situation that it can possibly happen. Let me encourage coaches who will not be fortunate enough. The game is almost decided. And this is the last game of the season. You have some hot heads. The best thing I'm suggesting for coaches uh, to man 
the, those players, make sure that they don't do anything out of line because this is their last game. And we're going to make sure that from a sportsmanship standpoint, our teams are moving forward, have an opportunity to play. Kids are going to respond. Kids are going to react. So just because uh, we don't want taunting by the team that's winning and then we don't want rough play or illegal stuff happen by the team that's unfortunately getting beat. This is going to be a great week. Uh, we, uh, All of our teams in the North, we want to bring all our balls back uh, to the North because we think that we are a better part of the state than is the South. But it's going to take the coaches, the officials, administrators, everybody working together to make sure our games are safe. This is Fred Johnson with the Hey Ref Podcast. I'll be posting uh, every Wednesday and Friday throughout the course of the playoff. Actually, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, giving you an update of the teams who are advancing on, especially in the tournaments and the games that we'll be uh, working with. And then throw some of those in who are actually in the area. We hopefully you will get involved with Hey Ref. Hopefully you'll take invest uh, into the project uh, that I am definitely uh, trying to implement because we know as well as you know that we're going to need some new people. We're going to need some people that's willing uh, to weather the storm just like I have. I started officiating in 1977. So obviously I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love the game. But I think I want to leave my legacy as a part of training some people to take on what we're actually leaving off. And I think it'd be a great thing. I'm not downing any part-time job. Uh, the money uh, is good. It can be better. But right now, it's good enough for us uh, to use it as an advocation. And when you have officials who are doing it full-time uh, as a result of that, it's something that you have to love to do. This is Fred Johnson with the Hey Ref Podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great tournament. And we'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye.